So I have the robots automatically transcribe these uh, interviews, conversations, and the, the bot service that I use calculates what percentage of the time I talk as opposed to the person that I'm supposed to be listening to. I am proud, proud to say in this week's case, I spoke less than 10% of the time. If I can keep it under 20, 25, that's, that's generally pretty good. If it gets up to be like 40, 45, then it's just a full-flown back-and-forth conversation. It's not me like, it, I mean, I'm listening, but it's really much more of a mutual kind of a thing. It also tells me the, the keywords that are used most often. In the case of my guest this week, Megan Miller, it was Luke her son, um, followed by kid, opera, and cancer. Her son has survived and is doing very well after a very scary bout with cancer. There's a tendency, if you have a child in particular who has battled cancer, to make it all about them. And in this case, her life had to be all about him for a while but we try, or at least I try, to make it about her and about how she responded. So you can see how, how good I did in this week's show. I don't need to be a mom boss. I don't need to wear my exhaustion like a badge of honor. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast. I'm Stuart Watson, your host. I hope you're comfortable. Megan Miller is an experiential marketing expert has her own marketing firm, Megan Miller Marketing, and was called upon to use her marketing skills to raise money on behalf of pediatric cancer, kids with cancer, uh, after her own son, Luke, uh, contracted a form of cancer. And we talk a lot about that, but it's mainly about how one woman does not lose herself in all of this and how she learned to take care of herself and she and her husband learned to take care of each other in their marriage um and you know and she really just has my admiration it's really a about um a story of being forced to step up does not like to be called a super mom so i won't say that but um ordinary person in extraordinary circumstances and we sat on her back porch it was a little bit cold so she lit this um, gas logs that that uh, have a window on the outside on the deck and put on the heaters and you can hear the birds in the background uh, sometimes chirping louder than I speak my buddy Megan Miller where were you born I was born in Palm Beach Florida I was called the Nantucket sleigh ride when I was born. She said I came in so fast that they barely even made it to the hospital bed. <laughs> and you were number what? I was number one and only. Uh, I was, so my parents um, had me in their later years 
and I was, you know, they were told through different um, things that, you know, children may not be an option for you. Um, you know, they were having some difficulties um, during pregnant, like, you know, getting pregnant. And so they had kind of had it in their head that they weren't going to have a child or maybe look into adoption or other realms. Um, and then lo and behold, I stuck. And uh, so I was a, a big surprise to them. And uh, yeah, I came in fast and furious and ready to change the world. <laughs> and so she didn't have to labor that long. No. Mm -mm. Which is oh. funny because I did not labor very long with my son either. Now, he did not come in hot and heavy like that. But in terms of the overall process, I think I went into labor for a few hours and active pushing for 20 minutes and he was here. Oh, my word. So... Did you make it to the hospital? I did, yes. Um, we were told to check in, actually, because um, I had some medical things um, that they said, you know, hey, like, let's just have you come into the hospital. Um, we just want to make sure that everything's okay. And then I went in there, and my contractions started coming in just one after the other. And they're like, actually, you're going into labor now. And I said, okay. So it wasn't the uh, rush to the hospital. It was we just kind of leisurely ate pizza, got ready, got dressed, packed up. My mom was here. Are you um, supposed to eat? Uh, you? Well, you're not supposed to eat if you um, go into like an epidural oh, and yeah. like, and also like during the active labor, but that's why I ate the big pizza before I went in. And we, uh, I think it's Hawthorne's pizza, not their labor inducer one, just their cheese pizza. <laughs> they have a, they have a buffalo chicken labor inducer one. Now I insist that some of those you know, wives' tales actually work. Do you think? I don't, I have no idea. I mean, we didn't do any of the wives' tales. I worked out, though. I mean, even the morning I went into the hospital, I worked out, I went to work. What kind of workout? Uh, I did a, it was like a pregnancy um, with a trainer, um, Jamie Horn, out here in Charlotte. Um, she runs a, um, a personal training. So we did like a high-intensity workout, and we... Did some boxing, I think, that morning. And yeah, so I went to work and I came in. I said, hey, guys, I'm going to have a baby tonight. So I need to wrap everything up. And so I didn't have my maternity plan 100% done. So I had to work about, about a six-hour day and get everything done. Then I came home. We had pizza, packed up the bags, and headed so to the hospital. So were you having contractions? I was. I wasn't feeling them, though. Um, so you knew you were going to have the baby. Yeah, they were, oh, the doctors, I mean, we were, we knew we were checking to the hospital that night. So I figured they were either going to induce or something was going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. And they basically, we went in and, um, you know, we slept overnight. Um, and then the next morning they were, they, I kind of told them like, Hey, like, how do I know what I need to push? And like, you know, what's going to happen and go through everything. And, um, they told me and I said, okay, I think I need to do it now. And like, Oh, that's not, I'm sure you don't have to right now. I'm like, no, no, I've, we need to do this. And she went in and she was like, oh my gosh, there's the head. Let's get the doctor. Let's go. My oldest daughter for sure does not want to have kids. Mm -hmm. And the, the other ones, it's just like, it's, it's a generational, I think there's a generational There thing. is, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what generation do you identify with? Uh, millennial. Now yeah. I'm going into this elder millennial stage where- How old are you? Uh, I am 35, going on 36. Okay. Um, why? Why did you want to be a mom? I have always had a strong calling to be a parent ever since I was a kid. Um, I always had a fear of having kids. Like when I got older, I think it was either the responsibility thing or the childbirth thing. Um, but I, you know, I was excited to start a family and to have a kid. I just always 
saw that in my future. But, you know, when Brett and I, my husband, we got married young. We got married when we were 23. Um, and when we, I mean, we were married for about eight years before we had Luke. And we wanted to focus on our careers. And I wanted to, you know, get where I needed to be. And we wanted a vacation. What do you do? Um, I run my own marketing firm now. So you were um, marketing then? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and what is uh... and Brett works for Unilever, um, okay. so he is head of ice cream for the uh, for Unilever, uh-huh. and you yes, get free ice cream. we get a lot of ice cream. <laughs> favorite flavor? Uh, my favorite flavor is Neapolitan. I like that. Yeah, it's nice with the colors. Yes, um, and so we, you know, we just always knew we wanted children, and we wanted a big family. But after having one, we were pretty happy. I think I put like all my good energy into just like one really good kid. <laughs> He seems like a sweetheart. He is. He is such a sweet kid. Um, he's always been told that too. Um, he's definitely got. He's got some bite to his bark uh, for sure, like any n- normal four-year-old would. Yeah, and he's how old now? He's four. 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 Yeah. 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 If I'd have been paying attention. No, I mean. you're fine. It's, <laughs> it's the fire. It's the it's the roaring fire. <laughs> um, the one thing that I will never know what it's like is you you go through the pushing and there's this mm-hmm. really intense pain mm-hmm. and then out comes this you forget all about it human being and then they like wipe the slime off mm-hmm. and, and bundle them up and they put them on your put them on your chest yeah what can you articulate what the feeling was when they bundle them up and put them? Yeah, I, um, it was really funny because I was very, I definitely told the lady, like, please clean him off very extra well. Like, I don't want a little <laughs> slime ball. Uh, like, make sure he's good. I know there's some women that are cute. like, don't touch him. Like, we want all the things. I'm like, no, I don't want, I'm like, you know, I know he's mine. I don't need to question that. Um, but yeah, he, it, I just, it was exhaustion mixed with excitement mixed with I forgot all about everything that happened in like the last four hours. Like you just, when people say you just forget about all the pain and all the the process, you just forget about it and you just look at this kid and it's, it's this feeling of I made you and I still have that feeling with him when I see him grow and I'm like... I made that like that that was created and that's where they why they call children like a miracle you know it's like it is absolutely a miracle how they were formed and now they're yours um I think the next emotion was like the day after where I'm like you're gonna let me leave with him like you're just gonna let me walk out the door with a breathing kid like you're just gonna I don't have a license you're good with this I I haven't passed the test yeah I was like Brent they're just gonna let us walk out of here with him like (laughs) I felt like I was stealing something um and then that drive home was the most I don't think I've ever been that scared of driving for in like years because we're like go slow go fast watch out for that guy like well you weren't driving no, my husband was, but Are I was like, but I was saying that to him, like, watch out for that semi. And I'm like constantly looking in the back and Luke's just snoozing. But I was like, it, and then like we put him on the counter of all places. We put him on the counter and we were just like, and I have a picture of him on the counter. And Brian was like, maybe we should put him in his bed. And we're like, I don't know. Is that what you're supposed to do? Like, should he go on the couch? Should he go in the bed? Like, it was just this, you question everything, but it was so fun, the whole process. And we loved the newborn stage. The middle of the nights were my favorite. We'd have, 
we're all about creating experiences and atmospheres in our home, obviously welcoming you in. I, we just, I love to create that. And we created that with his, those first couple weeks where we had our salt lamps and our, you know, warm lights and we had the music and we had, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and Brett would put a blanket over me and, you know, the feet, the footrest would go up and, and then he'd go back to sleep. Or if it was his turn, you know, I'd do, you know, he would nurt, like he would bottle feed him. And it was just this awesome, I was telling someone the other day, it was just crazy we were talking about this because it was just like the best experience was that newborn phase. And that's always people's like most treacherous and the hardest time. And like, I would give for anything to have that time back. But it has to be done the right way every time. <laughs> um, but it was just, it was just this whole nurturing feeling. And all of a sudden the maternal instincts come. Like they're right. There is a maternal instinct. Because I just didn't think of myself as very maternal. I knew I wanted a child and I knew I wanted to create this family. But I never, I was never the babysitter or the nanny or, you know, my friends would have kids and I would be the last one to want to hold them. Like I'm just like, oh, wait till they can walk. And then, you know, Auntie Megan will come in. Even like my, my you know, my nieces and nephews, I was like, they're cute. But when it's yours, it's like, okay, like it's a whole nother level to your personal and human design. How would your mom have described you when you were like two? You know, I was definitely a very on the go baby, which is what Luke does. And my mom says a lot of how I raised Luke is how she raised me. Mom would pick, pick me up and take me with her. You know, Luke comes to work with me. Luke goes to events with me. He, you know, he would be sitting here with us if he was home. Like he's just, that's just his personality. That's how he raised him. He eats what we eat. He's, you know, he's a foodie. He likes to mix foods to make new tastes. He likes to cook and anything I'm doing, he's there with me when it comes to like the opera performances. As long as we're there, he's cool with it. Didn't you say that he is choosing the menu? Yes, we are working on a fundraiser. Yeah, so we're working on a fundraiser with Custom Shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the chef, who's a good friend of mine and, you know, really is a, has grown to like Luke. So Chef Andres, you know, has was like, well, we can let him in and he can pick the main menu items. And so it's a very custom experience for that. And I think that's a really cool part of what we're doing with the dinner. So the first dinner, you can have the dinner with Luke, the earlier one. But every menu item will be picked and curated by him. And, he, you know... Right now, he's on a dumpling kick and a shrimp kick. So we're like making dumplings together and we're folding the dough and we're stuffing the things in. We're buying pre-made ones a lot, Um, you know. That's hard. Yeah, and so we're steaming them and, you know, he'll want to do it the certain way. And, you know, the shrimp, you know, he likes the cocktail sauce. and But it's fun and that's, we've he's always been a foodie baby. You know, he's always liked food and that's always just been something that we've done. Like we always make him a part of making the food and... So he eats. That boy eats. <laughs> There's some kids who are picky. Yeah, and he, he has his picky moments, but when not given an option, he doesn't. You know, so if we go to a restaurant, he will try what's on the menu. Like, we will talk. To, we, we know his favorite things. So if we tell him there's shrimp in the pasta, he'll have the shrimp pasta. You know, he definitely isn't like, I have to have hot dogs or I have to have pizza. You know, if he's home, he'll go to the frozen stuff for sure. Um, but if we're out and about, or if we have the fun stuff here, he will, um, he'll go, he'll gravitate to that. Yeah. What's fundraiser for? Uh, it is going to be for um, Claire's Army, um, which is an organization out here that helped us a lot during um, Luke's initial diagnosis. So a year ago, Luke was diagnosed with lymphoblastic lymphoma, um, which is a type of pediatric cancer, a blood cancer. 
and uh, Claire's Army is um, an organization out here that um, fundraises for pediatric cancer needs, but they also take care of the parents in the hospital. And that's something that you don't really think about when you go into this. You know, it's all about the child and making sure they're taken care of. But after four days of showering in a hospital shower and living together in a very small commune of a, a hospital room, they came with this bag of Febreze and, you know, dishwasher soap and a bath rug and fresh towels, not hospital towels. And like, I had never been so excited for a bottle of Febreze. We still have that bottle of Febreze like <laughs> up in the cabinet because we're afraid they're going to discontinue that brand and we don't want to forget that moment. Um, and they work with local restaurants to bring real food in for those families. So they deliver, you know, Mama Ricotta's and Midwood Smokehouse and, you know, um, Hawthorne's like pizza. And so it was just like, it was such a nice thing that we just never thought we needed. You know, I put the bath rug down just to be nice. Like I was like, well, I don't want to waste all this stuff. And I stepped out of that shower and I was like, felt like a million bucks. I was like, I never looked at a bath mat that way before until you're stripped of your normal luxuries. You don't realize you don't miss them, you know? And so I've been trying to pay it forward to them. They're a smaller organization, you know, they're not the St. Jude's well-known name, um, but they do just as much work. Um, and the organization um, is named after Emily Ratcliffe's uh, daughter, um, Claire, who, um, you know, who uh, passed on um, from her battle with cancer. And so this has been really great for us to fundraise. We did a Luke's Lager last year um, in partnership with Noda Brewing Company and Highwire Brewing Company. But that's the, that we'll be fundraising again with the um, Custom Shop um, fundraiser for Claire's Army. How was Luke diagnosed? We noticed he had a growth on his neck um, and it looked like swollen lymph nodes. It was right here, yeah, right on the side of like his neck. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and we treated it with antibiotics. It'd go down, it'd come back and eventually it got harder. And I'm like, oh, this is just not sitting with me well. And so we went in for a biopsy and um, like two days later they called. I remember hearing lymphoma and thinking, oh, okay, well, at least it's not cancer. You know, I, I don't live in that world of medical terminology. So I was like, all right, so we can, we can do this. And then... He's like, you know, we're gonna have, you're gonna have to go tonight to St. Jude Affiliate Clinic at the Hemby Hospital uptown and pack your bags. I'm like, why are we doing all this? And then it started to kind of sink in and I started listening and then they said lymphoma. And I was like, oh, this is cancer and it's a type of cancer. And so we went into the hospital that night. And how did that feel in your body when you? Uh, it was an unknown emotion that I wasn't even able to address at the time. You know, your body goes into fight or flight and we did both. We flew to the hospital and we fought the emotions. Um, you know, the first thing that came to our minds, we need to get somewhere fast and get this process started. We didn't even know what the process looked like. You know, we didn't know what our journey was. We didn't know what stage it was. We didn't know if this is going to kill him. Is it going to, you know, what is it going to do? What did you say to Luke that night? I said that we were taking a road trip to the see the doctors um and you know trust us and that because we didn't know what else to tell him and was he like cool cool yeah he's like really? let's go that's luke was like cool whatever you know let's go and so we packed his bags his toys toy bags we let him pick out all of his toys he wanted um and we walked in and he was a little like okay what's going on what toys does he like trains so he loves trains. trains he brought 
all the trains. Um, and he brought his Woody doll with him, which he still carries with him. Um, you know, we brought his favorite blankets. Thomas, the tank engine. We can't, we're not talking about a train set. You have to oh, set no. Up, He's like into steam trains, legit steam trains. He likes the real thing. Has he seen real ones? Oh, yeah. We go to um, the Transportation Museum. We're members. Have, have you, has he been on one? Oh, yes. Um, his make-a-wish, actually, for this year is to go to travel to Colorado to ride the steam trains in the mountains. What, what time of year? Uh, we're hoping for this summer in June. That'll be he wants gorgeous. to ride horses and he wants to go on trains. Um, yeah, and all the nurses are like, You're, you got out scot-free with Disney because all the kids want Disney. And it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're excited for a Colorado trip. <laughs> Mom and Dad will go. Mm-hmm. What, what, um, what of this was painful? What of it was just boring to him? And um, what of it was just like, okay, this is an adventure? We tried to make it all an adventure. You know, the first couple of days were painful for all of us because, you know, they had to, you know, he was under a microscope, you know, everything from, you know, getting woken up in the middle of the night to do blood pressure and to check his heart rate, um, to get the IVs. I mean, it's not fun. He was three years old when he was diagnosed. So he had never seen this and we had never seen this. You know, we're a very healthy family. We don't go to the doctors other than the annual stuff. And so, you know, to watch him go through it was painful as a parent and to not be able to stop it. You know, there was nothing I could do to keep it from coming. It was coming. You know, there was it, it was a feeling of helplessness. You know, I knew in the middle of the night I'd hear them knock in and I knew he was going to cry and scream. And I had to basically not lie to him, but tell him it's going to be OK when I'm like, why am I telling him it's going to be OK? It's not going to be OK. Like, it's going to be bad. And so that was hard for us. But as the days got long, you know, as we continued, because we were there for about a week and a half. And as we progressed, like every day, it became, okay, let's go for a walk. Let's, you know, he knew food was coming that night. Um, The amount of toys that kid got was, you know, every, you know, we were telling the nurses, like, if you can bring another train in here, like, that would really make him happy. (laughs) Um, But it was, you know, and it was a lot of those things, those small little things. Um, You know, we'd have our food and then we'd have a lot of leftovers and we'd make new food. And so the nurses, you know, we got to know them. And then we started going into, once we got out of the hospital, we started going to clinic. And that was a whole nother experience for him. You know, there was no pain. He had got his port, he had surgery there. They put his port in. um, And that's how they do all the blood work and medication and chemotherapy is through his port. Um, And so the pain was less and it became an adventure. We kept the food theme. You know, we door dash all the fun foods like Cheesecake Factory and Taco Bell for breakfast and you know all the nurses really they love him now they know him by name they they know his favorite things you know every time we go there you know they hold trains like if somebody donates trains like they hold them for him knowing that he's gonna you know and then when we go we go to Dunkin Donuts and he asked me if he can get a coffee for Victoria he's like can we get a donut for Jennifer like can we you know and so he brings things to them um and it's it's, a giving he's a giving yeah He's like me. I get a big dopamine hit 
from watching people open my Christmas gifts than me getting Christmas gifts. And he's very much like that. He loves to give. This morning he gave donuts to my dad. And, you know, he's just, and he gets excited about that. And so we use that as an experience in the hospital. So when he goes, now we say we're going to clinic. And he's like, yes. Like he looks forward to his treatments. There is something deep down inside that I hate that he loves it. And I hate that he knows, you know, most kids that are four years old playing doctor are, you know, making their dolls cough and checking for tummy aches. And he's, you know, he's basically doing surgical procedures on his dolls and giving them medicine through their pore. And he knows the body like the back of his hand. He can tell you every organ in the body. And I'm just like, of course, I'm proud as a parent, but I'm also like, you should not know all of this. How do you explain lymphoma to a three-year-old? You, you don't. Um, I, it, you don't tell them that they're sick because sickness is contagious. And so you basically have to say that there is a battle going on in your body. And every day that we get this medicine, we help fight it. And it makes you feel better and you're stronger. And we show him pictures. In the beginning, we just didn't really have a discussion other than, you know, we're giving you medicine, we're getting things that are going to help you. And he understood that. And again, there's that trust with us where now he can look back at pictures and he goes, I was sick then. I said, well, you're not sick in a way that you can give this to your best friend, Tanner, but you are battling something that is bigger than what most people's bodies can go through. But because you were built tough and strong, you can go through this and you can fight it. And so coming up on February of 2024, he'll be done with treatments and he'll be back to normal life again. Did you ask doctors about odds and times? Yep, oh gosh, yeah, every day. I mean, it was, it was such a science. I mean, I can tell you all the names of every chemotherapy he's on, when he gets it, what it does, what are the side effects, um, how often we take it. Um, his timeline was hard to understand in the beginning, but now it's like the, and I've explained cancer to people because you hear the word remission and I say cancer is like, think of it as a rat and your body is a home. When rats come in and they infest your home, the first thing you have to do is you kill it. And so those first, you know, four months of going through cancer treatments, they are killing the cancer, AKA the rat. Once the rat is dead, the cancer is dead, the next step is to go into the house and remove all the dead rats, the dead rats' babies, all the things that they left behind, which is going into your next therapy phase. They're going in your body and they're making sure all the dead cells, the bad cells go out, they wash them out, they kill them with another round of chemotherapy. And then, you know, then your body is basically rat-free. Your home is rat-free, so they call it remission but you don't want rats to come back to your home. So you set up an extermination system, uh, you know, and they come every month and they make sure that your house is, you know, rat free and they, they put in medicate, you know, medicine and different things that, you know, keep the rats, AKA the cancer away. And that's maintenance. And that's what we're in right now. He has no cancer in his body, no sign of it. So it's remission. Um, but until he, completes all of his treatment in February, we're still on the maintenance program. So it's a really gross analogy, but it puts it into perspective for people that don't understand all the different phases. And well, if the cancer's gone, why are you still, 
doing all these treatments. Um, and it's to make sure it doesn't come back. How did you and your husband make sure that you took care of yourselves and took care of each other? We reopened that communication door. You know, we were always really strong communicators, you know, in the beginning of our dating and early marriage. And, you know, we, we talk a lot, but this, we really had to, we checked in with each other a lot. And we really had to put ourselves ahead of each other in terms of paying attention to things. You know, how are you doing? Like, what can, what do you need from me today? Um, can I take this off your plate? Um, because, you know, you, we both had careers. I was the director of marketing at Opera Carolina at the time. Um, Brent was just getting ready to start his promotion at work. Um, I had just started my company, um, getting ready to, you know, transition from the opera to a full-time marketing consultant. And, you know, we had to have this real conversation, like who's going to take a majority of the trips to the hospital? Because in the beginning stage, you're there every day, all day. Um, and sometimes there's overnights. And we just basically figured out like, okay, you do this and I'll do this. And we just, it's, it, it, it reminded us of the foundations of why we got together in the first place is how well we work together. We got to spend a lot of time together. And it's, it was, it, that was the gratitude part of the journey was, you know, it really sucked that we were going through cancer, but that's a lot of time I got with my kid for in his like three to four year old stage that I will never get back, you know? And it was the same feeling with the pandemic, you know? That was time we got with Luke when he was two that we, most parents never get with their children. So I really took that as the the moving force to looking on the bright side of things. Some days I got home and that wine came a little quicker than the other day, but <laughs> we have this bond now and this fun and I got this really awesome time with him. And luckily I did start my marketing consultancy that day. And even though I thought it was a bad thing because it was change when there was other change happening, the flexibility of owning my own business allowed me to have that time with Luke. Did Luke ever ask you a question that showed you that he understood that this was a life and death battle going on in his body? No, um, we, he has not yet. Um, we do feel it will come soon um, because he is, there is something where in the beginning stage, he was the rookie, you know, in those clinic rooms with all the other kids. He looked like all of them. He was very pale, very, he wasn't as weak as the other kids. He was running around with his IV and it was like chasing a horse and it was hard. <laughs> um, but he would see kids come in and get worse. And then he wouldn't see them. And I don't know, you know, God forbid something, or I'm hoping they just went to Memphis, but he would start to see kids get friendships. Then they would change their appearance. You know, there was a sweet girl that he used to play with. She was gone for a couple of days and she came back and, you know, she, her head looked like she had just gone through a very serious brain surgery. And Luke was like, what is, you know, what happened? And, you know, I said, well, you know, I talked to her dad and I said, well, yeah, she, she had a tumor removed in her head. And, you know, she, she, you know, was in, she was still in good spirits, but it was hard to explain to him where, you know, what was happening to her because it wasn't happening to him, you know, so he didn't identify that part of it, but he was, he's starting to see 
now that he's in the healthier side of the spectrum of the clinic now, you know, he's been doing this for a year and a half and he's no longer the rookie and his hair's all back and he's thinned out and he's not very puffy. So he doesn't really look like a sick kid, but he's seeing the other kids again and he's identifying with the pictures he sees of himself. And so it's coming. The conversation's coming. Did you ever have a, this isn't fair God or all the time, every day. Um, but diving into my faith, I realized that, you know, it's that old saying, you know, God can't give you anything that you're not, you know, that you're not capable of handling. Some people think that's bullshit. Yeah. And at the time I was like, all right, well that's stupid that you made me that I could handle this, like make me weaker. So I don't have to handle it. Um, but I definitely am a firm believer in, there is a reason we're going through this. Um, and the fact that he is a very healthy kid and he is very strong and he is resilient. There's, there is a purpose for why he's going through this, but going through it so strongly, you know, even on his worst chemo days, he still was playing and he was still excited for food and he was still his little bubbly self. It may be a less bubbly, but there was never really a day where I looked at him and was like, why God? Because he wasn't saying it. So if he's not saying why me, then why should I think why him? And so we're still, you know, what that, what, maybe it's the advocacy that we're making, you know, raising awareness for Claire's army. Maybe it's something down the road that, you know, medically he wants to do. Um, you know, we're still, I think our purpose is never known until it's the end of our life. Um, but you know, you're constantly searching for what you're meant to be doing, but it's just, yeah. I mean, I still do the why God every now and then because, you know, he's your baby and he's doing really good and it's not fair, but the, the more we go down the road, the more I look at it, like he is setting an example and he is setting a little, a whim of hope for those that maybe have to go through it. And that's a lot on my social media. I try not to hone in on all the bad experiences, but I try to be very realistic with our experience and what we're going through. That way, heaven forbid, if a friend of mine, their kid gets diagnosed with cancer, I'd rather them go, okay, I'm going to reach out to Megan. She did it. Versus I'm not going to reach out to her. I remember it was a hell with her. Like they had a terrible time. You know, I would rather lean in and be um, that inspiration and that sounding rock for people. Um, Because Luke was the sounding rock for me. You know, his his confidence and his dedication and determination to beating this is enough for us to feel somewhat comfortable going through the situation. What did someone tell you that was just like a really useful piece of experience? Not advice, but... Yeah. I mean, everybody tells you to take care of, you know, you put yourself first and take care of yourself. Um, and I heard a lot of that. Um, but I definitely heard a great quote that says, you know, everybody knows that phrase, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which I think is BS. <laughs> but I heard a quote that said, whatever doesn't kill you better run fast. And it's stuck with me because I'm like, that is so more powerful than the other verse that we hear. Um, and it, I, and it plays into that experience where it's like, you know what, like just, Try to focus on the gratitude with everything. So right now in the here and now, Megan Miller, what are you grateful for? 
Uh, I am grateful to be in our home. You know, we are warm and that Luke is at school. (laughs) He's wearing, you know, big kid clothes, (laughs) you know, we're out of the phases, but I, the fact that he is in school, like a regular kid, I have the ability and flexibility with my career to sit and talk to you on this podcast and have coffee when it's raining, which is fantastic. And that to me is like, this is life. This is what I wanted to be able to do. I was able to drop my kid off at school. I was able to get work done, take a break, have a friend over on a podcast, sit outside, talk about life and go right back to work and then on to life. You know, the I am grateful for the synergy that I have now of making it all work together. What are things that civilians like me say to you (laughs) that are helpful and supportive and uplifting? And what are things that are cliches that are like not helpful, heard it a million times? Yeah, I mean, everybody always uses the term super mom and, you know, we don't know how you do it all. And, you know, you're so strong and you're amazing. And those to me, although sound uplifting, um, are a little cliche because I do hide it well. Um, I am an actress. (laughs) I am an opera singer. I know how to put a performance on. Um, But I think that something that I want to get away from and that I'm advocating for is this death of a girl boss mentality. You know, I don't need to be a mom boss. I don't need to wear my exhaustion like a badge of honor. You know, women and men are out there working and grinding and, you know, we're posting that we've been up since 3 a.m. working on these client pitches and now we're tired and now we're this and, but we're getting it done. And I'm like, that's just not healthy. And so the positive stuff is people asking, where can I give my support? Where can I, hey, do you need help for your fundraiser? Hey, can, you know, showing up for, you know, my girlfriends always ask me that, you know, what can we do? How can we help? And you never really know what to ask for or how to help. That's just, you're, there's so much going on in your mind. You just don't even know what to ask for and you don't even know what you need. But, you know, my friends who have been there through it all, who maybe didn't give a dime to charity, who maybe didn't send us a single meal or never visited us, but were there when I reached out, that to me meant more than anything else because they waited. And friends who wait are the ones that are great. Like it's, it's just, it meant so much for me. And then to see them at the events and to see them interacting with Luke and, you know, those, that to me is the most impactful thing people can do is just be there when your friend or family member is ready to come back to life. I don't know if it's accurate to call it grief, but we have these mirror neurons. And if you see a little kid or a kitten or a puppy or your dog suffering it you know it's like there's nothing I can say there's nothing I can do but in fact if I grieve along with you Mm -hmm. if I start crying then it's not helpful to the kid right um so did anyone like consult you on that with the doctors the nurses was there a psychologist the social worker somebody to say listen if you need to lose it just excuse yourself or if you need to lose it do it in front of luke or what 
Yeah, I, you know, I had, I never lost it in front of Luke because I really felt like it didn't do me any, it didn't do him any justice to see me crying because like I said, he was so strong through the whole thing. He was like my rock. When I felt like I was losing it, I was looking at my three-year-old like, what should I do? You consult me, little strong warrior. Um, but, you know, I have a great therapist um, who hadn't really ever dealt with um, a patient or yeah, a patient that had a child with cancer. But that was actually really helpful because her techniques and stuff were of the regular mindset versus like cancer specific things because it can get pretty deep and gloomy and you know, and everybody's journey is different in the cancer world. So there's really nothing they can tell you that's going to help you that's specific to what you're going through. Because there are kids that really are very, very, very sick, and they're still going through chemo after five or six years, and their bodies are still deteriorating. You know, but I don't have that. I have this other side of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, almost everybody, all my, even my friends and my mother, you know, my mother was probably the only one I lost it in front of, you know, my parents, I've, you know, I would, you know, go to their house and just cry it out. Cause I'm like, you've seen all the ex-boyfriend cries and the, the school dance cries and the, you know, getting dumped cries. Like wh why not add in a cancer cry? <laughs> like, you know, I felt safe, um, being vulnerable in front of them. And of course, Brent and I are, we're, we, we were very vulnerable in the early stages together. What did your mom do when you would lose it? Uh, she, I mean, we're very physical touch. So of course she would hold me and a lot of, you know, that nostalgia feeling would come back of, you know, here's my mommy and, you know, we're helping and my dad too. Um, but she, she got to my level and she's like, this sucks. She's like, it sucks for me too, as a grandmother, you know, she's like this, like, she's like, there's no, she's like, but the thing you need to remember is we're in it together and it sucks for both of us and it sucks together. And it's her one and only daughter. Yep. Her, her one, one and only, only child and yep. her one and only grandchild. Yep. And it, you know, my mom has this crazy spiritual connection to Luke and they say theoretically that a grandmother carries her grandchild in the womb based on egg production because you're only given so many eggs, but it has to do. And so when I was born, or when I was inside my mother, I was given his egg and she carried me. And this is like a very, it's a new age, like medical terminology, but there's some fact and research about how your, the grandmother carries the child, the grandchild theoretically when they carry you because your eggs are actually already in production when you're a child um, and a baby. And her and Luke have this spiritual connection, just the same connection I had with my mother and the same connection I had with my grandmother. And so you know, probably to her, maybe more than any other grandparent, like there was, there was a wound when we all found the news and, you know, I collapsed when I found out and I remember falling to my knees on the ground and crying when we heard, when we got the news. And I remember Luke running up to me with a bandaid because <laughs> he thought I hurt myself. And I was like, he's so intuitive. I'm just like, you know, he sees me crying and he thinks I'm hurt and he runs up to me and he gives me this bandaid. And he goes, here you go. <laughs> and, you know, it what was... kind of a Band-Aid? Oh, my gosh. It was one of his black Band-Aids with the stars on it. We have it somewhere. I think I put it up in his bookcase upstairs so we never lose the Band-Aid. But, yeah, it was just hilarious. I was just like, he, he just sure gets enough, it. it helped. At what point did Megan Miller, mom, marketer, kick in and you're like okay 
this is my wheel's house, whether it's Claire's Army or Luke's Lager or whatever. Okay, now it's time for me to use my superpower to, you know. Yeah, September 2023, we locked, we... We came out with a gun, or actually, no, September 2022, we came out guns a-blazing. You know, we had been in it from February to, or sorry, we had been in it from October uh, to September, and we'd gone through it all, and I said, this, and the reason I chose September is it's National Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, and I said, all right, let's use Let's use the gifts. Let's use the ties. Let's use my connections, my press, my marketing, and putting together a whole army of people that are supporting. And once people started seeing what we were doing, they wanted to get involved. That's how Highwire reached out to us. They saw the Noda Brewing Com- the Noda collaboration. How can we do it? We have two other breweries um, that we haven't announced yet for this year that also want to do it. Um, custom Shop came through. I mean, we did Luke Strong bracelets. I mean everybody and people are like Megan this is like so up your alley like this is what you do you promote events you put on you know you get influencers to things you get people rallied together you bring communities together with crazy ideas like a beer like you know for this and for you know you're gonna have a four-year-old curate a you know a five-star restaurant menu and so I said yeah and then and that's where it all was like okay this is this at least for this time is why we're going through this is let's focus on the advocacy. Let's kick some cancer's ass, but also let's raise some money, give some awareness. There's so many people that were so new to supporting Claire's army. Um, Emily herself was just so grateful. Um, you know, they constantly kept checking you with me. Like, what can we do for you? Like you're still going through this. And it was a little bit of a, a deflection of what we're going to, you know, during the fundraising for, Claire's Army, during that time, I did kind of disassociate myself with the pictures of Luke on these flyers. Like, okay, it's your kid that has the cancer that we're fundraising for. Um, But it was good. It kept me going, though, and it was exactly what I needed to help get through that time, was to refocus my efforts, not so much on worrying over Luke's health, because Luke was doing just fine on his own. You know, it didn't matter if I worried or if I didn't. He was going to ride his own ride. What is recharging, renewing, refreshing, um, self-care for Megan Miller look like? It's still evolving. I still think I, I have some work I could do. What's an activity? or? A- Honestly, uh, nighttime, um, you know, I wake up like a bullet out of a shotgun in the morning you know it's and, and I like that I like the rush I like waking up I like getting Luke we do breakfast we do reading we watch some TV we get some serious playtime in before school um, no work before he goes off to school um, so and then that just kind of sets the tone for the day so at nighttime I am very adamant about my hour wind down and that's no devices I put my music on Um, my frequency energy music. Um, I get my mood set lights on. I read three books at one time. I know it sounds crazy, but I have usually like, um, I do the stoic, um, the daily stoic. I'll do that. I'll do some reflections, some journaling, and then I'll pick up a book. Um, and then I'll read after the book's done. I'll usually read, um, a few passages or devotional and then lights out. I set a timer on my music and I'm off. And that to me is a great wind down because 
um, someone like myself that runs at such a high megahertz during the day, going to bed with that was always disrupting my sleep. Before Luke, with Luke, and now. It was never a good thing. So that, to me, resets me, recharges me for the next day. So I can wake up in the morning ready to go and do. Do you do that by yourself? Mm-hmm. And I'm an extrovert. Um, and I've learned, yeah, yeah. but I've learned (laughs) through a little bit of human design too, um, that I've learned that hermiting and using my intro, some of the introvertedness actually is what recharges me. You know, I used to think going out to events and parties and grand openings and networking things and events at nighttime was what my soul wanted. And it is, it was exciting, but I was leaving exhausted So I've learned through my human design that I need alone time and private time to recharge in order for me to keep my energy high and my vibe high. Um, Because if I don't, those nights that I come back the next day, I'm toast. You know, I'm in my bed, I'm slow, I'm sluggish. You know, I, I just, I sucked up so much, you know, bad energy from that evening that, you know, I was depleted. So I've been aligning myself with better events and better people to where I'm getting exactly what I'm giving. Were you alto? Mezzo-soprano. And uh, when did you learn you could sing? Uh, In elementary school, um, I had always done chorus and flute and dance. And I enjoyed it, but it was never like something I thought I would fulfill as a life goal. Um, If anything, I was going to be a dancer, like my grandmother, who was a rockette, and I was going to be a dancer. That was what I was going to do. And uh, through bullying, I had a terrible elementary experience, and so I did not want to go to the public school at the middle school level with all the bullies. So I wanted to go to the magnet program, which was middle school of the arts, and you could audition for three things. Um, to get in. And I had flute and dance and I was like, whatever, I'll sing. I just want to get out of this hellhole. And so I auditioned. And the piece was? Uh, it was Whiskers on my favorite things from Sound of Music. And I remember I gave a great audition for all three. I was like, this is, I did great. I was really proud of myself. The singing, I was like, whatever. That was such a foo-foo song like there's no way and I got this letter and I thought there was a mistake it was like the school of voice I'm like what I'm like did they not see my ballet routine did they not hear my flute skills like why and so I went but I was like you know there's no turning back I wasn't going to the public school with the bullies and (laughs) found out bullies go everywhere with you so there's just new bullies uh but I went for singing I was never the best I was never great I was just there but I was taking lessons and getting better. And I was like, why, why am I doing this? And she was like, because she's like, you'll find out someday, but you are, you're coachable, you're trainable and you're moldable. And she's like, you are the perfect instrument. And I was like, well, I'm not getting solos and I'm not getting into the school. Like why? And was like, well, I might as well do singing. And then I realized that I was a little fish in a big pond in middle school, of the arts. When I went to public high school, I came in and I realized that I had a gift because I had been put up against all these other great singers. I couldn't see it. 
But when I went to a non-performing arts high school, I was in all the advanced stuff. I was winning awards and I was taking competitions to the house. And and I was like, oh my God, I can sing. Like, this is crazy. Like, and, and, and that was the thing. I had a voice coach that molded me and trained me and teach me. And so I, I went to college for um, opera performance uh, or for voice performance. And I got a full ride. Where? Palm Beach Atlantic University. Mm. And I wanted to go there because Marilyn Mims was the vocal coach and she is a world-renowned soprano. She's met, she's got Met debuts and Grammy operas and she's just fantastic and she teaches at this little private school and I got a full ride in um, with my voice. And I met with her and I said, I want to learn how you became so insane. And she's like, it's opera. And I was like, what? like Bugs Bunny like and even as astute as I was as a musician that's what I know about yeah opera. as astute as I was Killed I was rabbit. still Killed yeah rabbit. I was still so naive about this art form and so I immersed myself and as a, fr a freshman for the first time in Palm Beach Atlantic history I joined the opera workshop and I was I loved it I was so it's singing and it's dancing and it's acting and it's dressing up and it's live. There's no microphones like Broadway. So what you hear in the mezzanine is what's coming from that artist's mouth. And it's old art forms and it's stories that have been, you are, it's pieces that have been performed for hundreds of years that are still popular, that are still relevant, that car commercials are still using to sell their products. Um, every time, and Brent does it with me, we hear opera every day on the news, in the radio, on TV, in movies. Luke's programs all the time have opera in them. And Luke's now recognizing. He's like, Mama, that's opera. And I was like, it is, baby. And like, it is such an immersive art form. And it teaches us so much about the history and what our culture has gone through and how it's still relevant to this day. And, you know, we learn a lot of that through Shakespeare and Mozart and Verdi and Puccini I connected so well with it because as a person I could completely be vulnerable on stage and for that those three hours I could transform into anyone and it was a great escape for me during you know my depression years in college and you know my changing world and growing up and you know I changed my made um, I changed my major in college to business marketing because um, I also quickly learned the uh, career of an opera singer is very <laughs> it's 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 difficult you know to to do it all the time nonstop um, and so I had gotten another degree in business marketing so I could support myself financially while still performing my art form. Um, and that was my goal. And I did that for many years. I worked in corporate America and then I sang for the opera companies. I sang at Palm Beach Opera, Minnesota Opera, Opera Carolina, New York City Opera. Um, and I was able to have my corporate job as well. Song you sing for yourself, like in the shower or in the car or... Oh, um, gosh, you'll have to edit out all this space because I'm going to think. Um, probably Stormy Weather. Um, Can I hear a little? I don't know. It's like that stormy weather since my men and I have been together. That one I will bust out in the shower, usually at a higher range. Usually it's a good one for me because it's really low. So even if my voice is like, sounds like I just had a cigar, I'm like, it's still good. An aria that gets you every time. 
Smania Implacabili, which is from Cozy Fantute. Um, that that is just it's a Spitfire aria. Um, I enjoy right now. Uh, I'm getting ready to learn um, the violin aria, which will be a new one um, from Offenbach. And then I will also have um, Must the Winter Come So Soon, which will be an English opera. Um, and then, I mean, I really enjoy Italian, French. Um, once I learn German, it usually is good, but it's very hard for me. Um, but it's, it's just fun. Um, and I started my coachings again with Victoria Livengood, who is another Met superstar. Um, she lives out here in Concord. She's definitely the best kept secret in Charlotte when it comes to voice lessons. She's not really a kept secret, but... <clears throat> the fact that I have access to somebody of her talent and caliber is in, is an incredible. Um, this may be an unfair question. Um, a song you would like sung at your funeral? Hmm. I don't really know if I want any music sung at my funeral. I would like I would like strings and orchestra music. Um, what music? I don't. It's I don't know the names of them, but I hear them in church all the time. Mm. So and sacred, sacred. Sacred. Yeah, definitely sacred. Um, you know, my spirituality is very important to me. Where do you go to church? Uh, St. Mark's Catholic Church. Um, Have you always been a Catholic? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. My dad um, instilled that in me very young, um, and it was a really great message that he told me when I left the house he said you know the reason I made you go to church all those years is that you knew that there was something bigger than yourself out there that you could turn to in your darkest times if you if your mother and I were not here to help you and I always remember that because it's right he's true you know it doesn't matter where your spirituality takes you I know a lot of people that start with one religion and they go and of course I went on my own exploration Palm Beach Atlantic University was a primarily Baptist church and so I went to Baptist church services and I immersed myself in Luther get you into heaven alone just, just yeah <laughs> exactly now I live in the Bible belt <laughs> um and you know I immersed myself in Lutheran and Presbyterian and I actually worked at a Presbyterian church for six years as their music direct assistant music director um singing in their choir teaching their children choirs um and I love that and I for a while I don't think I was ever going to convert to Presbyterian but that was where I found religion and you know the ultimately and everybody's opinion is different but for me God is the center of all of them. So to me, I didn't really feel as long as I still was, you know, in that world and in that realm, I still felt strong in my faith. Um, but with Catholicism, I got back into it again. Obviously, my husband's Catholic, so that was an easy one to get back into with. But um, I enjoy the peaceful time, the quietness. You know, I, I'm not really into the rock and roll churches. You know, I like the quiet, the solitude. The reflection and the time that I have there um, and the music going back to the opera I love you know the C Catholic hymnal church old school hymns I mean they're just so they just they bring back a nostalgia feeling for me I remember them when I was a kid they haven't changed <laughs> you know they're the same um, you know I don't necessarily need a new a new song that was written last year to bring me closer to God if we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived was this little piece of digital audio, what is your legacy? 
Oh my gosh. I always have been thinking on this because I always am trying to figure out what it is and what it's going to be. Um, and honestly, I really hope it's, I hope that it's Luke that lives through it and, and continues the legacy. Um, I love the musical side of me. I love the business side of me too, but you know, if something ever happened and my house burnt down, I would be more upset if I lost the pictures of my opera performances and my music reviews and my scores than if I lost any of my business awards. And I have a little shrine upstairs and there's a lot of them, but I think I would be, you know, I would love for people to remember me for the singing and the performances I did and the work I did with the, in the advocacy, you know, what we've done with Luke's Lager. And I hope that he tells that story. What values do you hope Luke will embody? I want him to, I want him to embrace family and faith and his foundation and whatever that foundation is. And not that I had, they had to be all F's for the podcast, but it just came to me where it's like, I want him to instill strong family values. I want him just like my dad did with me. I want him to walk in faith so he knows he's never alone. If something happened to me or his father, he knew that there would still be someone that he could talk to. And then his foundation, what sets him apart, what really brings him joy and what, and you know, his legacy is my legacy. You know, he's the one that's going to carry the stories when we're gone and the one that's going to tell, you know, how everything worked and his battle with cancer. And, you know, hopefully that'll, he'll find his purpose in all of this. Megan Miller, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was exciting. I got to talk about things I hadn't talked about in a while. God bless you. Yeah. Thank you. thank you, Megan Miller. And you can find Megan Miller Marketing online, on LinkedIn. Uh, look her up. Does uh, She's a female business owner and does event marketing, uh, including doing all this marketing to fight uh, pediatric cancer and for Claire's Army, which you can also find online. Thank you, Megan. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported me in all the various manifestations. Manlistening.com, In Her Words, the podcast, and now VoiceLocket at VoiceLocket.com. Take a look. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.